I'm, I'm excited to be doing this, man. Anytime I can get on and talk some basketball, some life things, uh, you can't beat it. Right. Yeah, exactly. How are you doing? Uh, things been well, man. I can't, I can't complain. Getting ready for having, I'm having a basketball clinic October 29th. So getting geared up for that, I have a clinic I'm doing uh, this Saturday uh, to try to bring some more kids in. So just preparing for my basketball clinic. Mm-hmm. And I got two more things doing. I got a book coming out sometime next year, private wine label I'm working on. And uh, oh wow, regeneration center that will be opened up sometime in Lexington uh, next year. So it's um. I got a few things going on, but, you know, yeah. basketball is, is the one thing I love. And uh, whatever, whatever somebody wants to do basketball-wise, you know, it always piques my interest. Right, right. All right. Well, uh, thanks again. Love to jump right in and get in talking uh, about your basketball career, if you don't mind. Right. Oh, absolutely. Let's, let's get started. Let's get- so as I've been researching you, um, I wasn't even aware that you were Mr. Basketball in Tennessee as a high school player. Um, yes. After reading that, I started wondering – who was the best high school player that you, you played against? You know, was it a future NBA player or was it just someone kind of like a local rival? You know, I, I think a local rival would be a guy by the name of Corey Johnson, who was a big time scorer like myself. Corey mm-hmm. was a year under me and uh, we had some, some great matches, you know, 50 point, 40 point game. And uh, when I left the state of Tennessee, I want to say he went on to, uh, to lead the state in scoring. So he was a big time scorer. And I uh, ended up going to ETSU. But, uh, you know, when, when you're in high school, and it, it's so funny, and I was telling someone the other day, I said the best high school player I ever watched was Anthony Hardaway, Penny oh, Hardaway. And, uh, you know, I just got into, I was a sophomore in high school, and Penny was a senior. I'll never forget my brother and I went down and watched him play against one of my uh, high school robbery. Mm-hmm. And uh, he put on a show that's – to this day, still probably one of the most amazing show I've ever seen in high school. But, you know, we, we had a lot of talent. But when you come from a small town, you know, your, your toughest competition is going to be whenever you go to the city. And for us, that city would be Memphis. Okay. Uh, that's funny that you say that. And, you know, I've been a basketball fan since probably 1995 or so. And that's Penny was actually my favorite player back then. That's what really got me <laughs> excited about basketball. And uh, right. I think... When I was nine, ten years old back then, I had maybe seventy something penny cards. I had jerseys, the shoes, oh, wow. everything. Wow. I had yeah. So that that's really cool that that you got to see him play. You know, at that time. So then, as a high school player going through the college recruiting process, was Kentucky your primary choice, or were you looking at other schools at that time? You know, it's kind of funny because you know it's to see how kids are being recruited now and and how early they're being recruited. Uh, my recruiting process started later because, like I said, from a small town, uh, not a lot of people knew about me as a sophomore. Mm-hmm. And what really helped put me on the map was playing AAU ball in Memphis with the YMCA, which is the YMOCA, uh, which Penny is Team Penny now. That really got me going. Like, that was the, the exposure I needed, you know, playing in some uh, sub-state tournaments, state tournament, uh, playing nationally, and gave me the recognition I need as far as, like, becoming a, a – uh, you know, one of those players that you could see as being a top player in the country. And I never thought about it. You know, I was just playing basketball. And, and uh, at that time, I really didn't even think about the exposure. But uh, when you started playing uh, on the team that we had, and it was a really good team, my uh, sophomore year, uh, that summer we finished in third place. And then my junior season, we were runner-up. So had a lot of D1 players on that team. 
and it gave me an opportunity to really go out and play my game. And I really didn't think about what school I was going to go to. The closest school to me was uh, at that time Memphis State, which is University of Memphis now. And uh, was definitely a consideration, but Mike Anderson and Billy Donovan started recruiting me in the SEC. Those were the two, two, uh, two schools I took a lot of interest in because of the style they played and just uh, Nola Richardson and Coach Patino, which were really good coaches. And both, both of those coaches played my style of basketball. So when you're at Kentucky, I was looking at specifically the roster of your 1996 championship team. And I like being a big NBA fan, I knew that you had a lot of other NBA players on that team. Uh, I didn't know that, including you, there were nine future NBA players. So, I mean, what was that experience like just playing with, you know, just such an elite group of guys on that stage? What was the most memorable thing about it for you? You know, I, I just think the way we competed at practice, like practice was a, a dogfight every day. It was, you know, guys fighting for minutes and competing every day. So you can never you can never take a day off because if you take a day off, that means you lost your playing time. And so it, it kept it kept us competitive. I mean, competitive it made us better because at your position, you had a, a future pro or not a pro at your position. So every day you came, you was fighting to keep your position. And whenever you have that kind of challenge at practice, uh, you're only going to have great practices. And then when you when it comes to games, games were easy for us. We, we consider games to be days off. You know, it was right. like, man, you know, all that, those three-hour practice, uh, three-hour practice, 45-minute individual instruction, then you get that game, which is two hours. It, mm-hmm. was, it was like a day off for us. And we competed at a high level. But also, we, we wanted to see our teammates play. You know, mm-hmm. when you look at that second unit, you know, those guys got just as many minutes as we did, you know, because we jumped on teams early, um, got a big, huge lead. When they came in, they sustained what we had, and we would start back over the second half. And before you know it, we was up 30 points. So those guys got a lot of playing time, which gave them that kind of exposure. And people start comparing, like, you know, we were ranked number one, and our second team was ranked number two in the country. Mm-hmm. You won the championship your senior year, correct? Yes, Right. Did you intend on staying in college all four years when, when you started? Hmm. No, I didn't. Okay. <laughs> um, I was actually, after we lost in 95 to North Carolina, I was going to put my name in the draft. Mm-hmm. And uh, that year in 95, I was probably like late, late first round, early second round draft pick. Uh, that's mm-hmm. where they had me, um, you know, selected to go. And, um, you know, I decided to come back. You know, like I said, I, I felt, felt like there were some things that were – that I need to work on from my game standpoint. And also I felt our business, uh, our business wasn't finished, you know, because we're returning everyone. Then we added Ron Mercer as a freshman. Derek, Derek Anderson was setting out, you know, his junior season. Then he mm-hmm. was able to come back and, uh, you know, be a, 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 a spark, but also a guy that came, stepped in and helped us, uh, you know, go on that 27-game win streak, win the national championship. So we had all the right players. And, you know, and, and I could have been selfish and, and – you know, and thought about myself, but at that time, and also I was so close to getting my degree, you know, so right. that was two years to come back, unfinished business, college basketball, and then also I was so close to getting my degree. Well, yeah, so I mean, sounds like you made the right decision all around, so well, that's really what? good. Well, 20 years later, you, you, you would say, yes, I did, but at right. that time, you know, <laughs> I, I didn't know exactly what I was doing. Nobody, no one at that age uh, can, can, can dictate what the future is going to hold for them, or, you know, we can't even you know, even fathom what our future is going to be. But, you know, you make decisions as a 20-year-old kid and, uh, you know, they can affect your future or they can enhance your future. 
And I was just in a great situation, surrounded by a great support staff, my brothers, my mom and dad, and um, a lot of friends. So you finish your career as an NCAA champion, as the tournament's most outstanding player, and then you move on to the 1996 draft. And I believe you were the 16th pick, correct? Yes, I was. Is that kind of around where you were expecting to be chosen, or did you think, based on your tournament performance, that you might go earlier? Well, I think with the, tur- the tournament performance um, and how it worked out for teams, you know, I was hoping that I would have been, like, definitely in that lottery. I don't think right. there's no reason why I couldn't have. I was just as good as anyone else that came out. It was, it was the uh, – I think the question mark would have been, you know, could I play the point? You know, I was more of a undersized shooting guard, but I could really score the ball and I could defend my position. So that was a, that was a bonus, but I wasn't a bona fide and true point guard. And that was always a question mark. But, you know, how the game is right now, if you got a guy that can play, you know, his height shouldn't matter. You know, can he be impactful on both ends, uh, on the defensive end as well as the offensive end? And, um, you know, my game right, my game would be tailor-made for, uh, for this generation right now, how basketball is being played right now. I think at that time, you know, everyone wanted me to be the point guard, you know, mm-hmm. and that wasn't my natural position. And it's something that I wasn't comfortable with until – maybe my fifth or sixth year in the NBA. And, uh, you know, and, and it's definitely a tough position. And I've always been a scorer. So for me, you know, I didn't want to run the pick and roll because it, it, it was bringing more people in, you know, when I needed – when I could just take my guy off the bounce and beat him and maybe beat another guy. Now I had to be a decision maker. And that's something I wasn't good at. And But I got better. You know, it's – you have to find your strength in, in your uh, – and, and what – and how you and find out what you can excel with at that level, and also the coach, uh, you know, has to know the personnel he has. And there were certain coaches that didn't utilize my skill set the best way, but then there were certain coaches that knew my skill set and allowed me to be successful. So those were the coaches and the places that I enjoyed playing playing at. Uh, thanks. That was a really great answer. I appreciate that. <laughs> so you get drafted to Charlotte. What what was your most memorable experience as as a rookie playing in Charlotte? Well, no, it's a funny story. I was telling it um, probably a few weeks ago, but Muggsy Bogues was there, mm-hmm. and Muggsy, you know, he was still fast and quick, and and I remember getting the basketball and dribbling the ball down the court, and Muggsy was behind me. So I'm looking for Muggsy. I'm like, okay, I know he's somewhere behind me. <laughs> and the next thing you know, he steals the ball, go down and go down the court, and he score. And the first thing he said, he said, you don't have cable? <laughs> so he came from behind, stole the ball, and, and you know, he's – he, he probably done that maybe over 100, 100 times during his career, you know, just sneak yeah. behind and steal the pass. But uh, that year it was uh, playing – there was a lot of really good veterans on that team. And, uh, you know, one of the guys that took me on his wing uh, past last year was Anthony Mason. Uh, me being a rookie, you know, he kind of gravitated towards me. And mm-hmm. – you know, and I listen, and I always listen to my older, my vets. You know, those guys had experience, and you know, the league towards the end it started getting a little bit younger. But when I came in, every team had five or six different, five or six vets, and those vets were kind of like it was for me in college. You know, I had to play behind a senior, and you can learn so much by uh, from playing behind someone. And, and that's how it was. I was taught old school. You know, you got you have to earn your minutes. You know, they're not going to be given to you. So you play your rookie year in Charlotte. You start your second year in Charlotte, but pretty early on that season, you were traded to Golden State. And I was just, and when I was looking at your career timeline, it, something stuck out. I mean, that was, uh, I believe the fall of 97. 
yeah. and that was the Latrell Sprewell incident. <laughs> were yeah. Were you at that practice when that happened? Yes, I, I had Muggsy and I had yeah. just got sprayed out there. We'd been with the team for like two weeks, and it's yeah. And, um, that uh, at that time they hadn't won in the game. We were like maybe zero and nine. Oh so wow. We to a team that, that didn't have any victories and um you know that particular day and just leading up to it you know that was a lot of frustration that we wasn't we wasn't winning wasn't a good mm-hmm. team uh, just the chemistry wasn't good and guys really didn't like the situation they were in and it's funny too because free and i you know i, I met free when i was actually in high school we played at three rivers junior college with a uh, with a teammate of mine and uh we still talk to this day matter of fact we we every once in a while He'll hit me. He'll text me. Mm-hmm. But a uh, good friend of mine, and you know, just one of those days where he got frustrated. He got so frustrated, and the coach had been screaming at him, and one thing led to another. Mm-hmm. And you know, it, it was a situation that you know that I had never seen before, and all of us were shocked. You know that that right. happened. Right. And you know, you really have to move on from a situation like that and learn from it. And I know he learned a lot, lot from it as well as PJ. You know, just that there's a certain way you uh, you talk to men. You know, mm-hmm. you respect us and we respect you. And uh, he became a much better coach, I think, after that. You know, he treated us totally different. So it, it's something that worked out, you know, uh, for the better for probably uh, his coaching career, uh, his relationship with players. And then Spree understood that, you know, no matter how pissed off you get, you have to keep your composure. No, that that makes sense. Yeah, when I, like I said, I, I saw that those dates kind of lining up, and I said, oh, I think he was there then. Oh, yeah, okay. there. yeah. <laughs> I would have done it a little bit more. So right, man, yeah. there was a lot going on during that time. <laughs> definitely, definitely not the Golden State Warriors up to date. Right, yeah, different time. <laughs> so after Golden State, you moved to Sacramento, right? Yes. And, you know, at that time, that was a really exciting time in Sacramento because you had yeah, Chris yeah. Weber and Vladi and Jason Williams. Um, do you have any good white chocolate stories? Did you get hit in the face with any crazy passes or anything like that? This is what I will say about White Chocolate. Yeah. There was no pass he wouldn't attempt. <laughs> three-quarter court, half-court, round-the-back, elbow, bounce pass from three-quarter court. He would attempt any pass, but he was a uh, an exciting and a fun teammate to play with. You know, he really loved the game. Uh, you know, that team that we had in 2000 was probably, of all the teams I played on uh, other than Kentucky, it was a, a group of guys that really – enjoy playing with each other we were an un- unselfish group of guys and you know Chris and I became good friends mm-hmm. uh Vlade and I were teammates in Charlotte so Vlade welcomed me with open arms and Rick Adelman was the perfect coach for me and the reason why I said the perfect coach for me it took me time to break into the uh, to the, to the uh, rotation but you know he never played me at the point guard he played me at the off guard and John Barry would be the point guard so at the point if either one of us got pressure the other guy would bring bring the ball up the court so it was an interchangeable backcourt work well for both of us because John Barry and I neither was neither were a point guard but we knew how to coexist with one another and it was a, it was a great great situation for me to be in and uh I really didn't want to leave that situation you know I, I couldn't it, it was more working out the terms and trying to get a longer term deal more money and it, it was about negotiation but you know if I could could have done it again you know I probably would have stayed there a little bit longer but that team went on to make a couple of runs they just couldn't get past the Lakers. As a matter of fact, that year we lost to the Lakers in the first round in, uh, in five games. So it was they were to me the second best team, but they were kind of like Golden State Warriors, how they play right now. You have big second pass the ball, mm-hmm. uh, just unselfish play. And a coach that just let us play basketball. You know, he didn't 
he didn't stop anyone from excelling. You know, he did a good job of uh, playing to all of our strengths. Right. Yeah. No, I remember that Lakers series. Yeah, you guys, you guys gave him a run for their money, and so you know that, that was pretty entertaining. That was kind of like my that was my coming out party once again. You know, just having a great series against the Lakers and for them to go on and win it. And uh, there was there was talk about maybe going and playing with the Lakers. It would have been like jumping teams, but uh, yeah. I really wanted to go play with Jason Kidd. I mean, when it was all said and done, uh, that was a guy I really wanted to go play with because I knew playing with him, I could really play my natural position. And that actually kind of leads me to my next question. I was going to ask you about your stint in Phoenix and obviously playing with Jason Kidd, you know, who was in his prime at that time. But what yeah. I really wanted to ask you about, which you probably know what I'm going to ask, is your 50-point game with, that you had with Phoenix against Sacramento. Right. Right. Uh, what was that night like? I mean, had you ever felt that way on a basketball court before where just like every – I even – I watched the, a YouTube clip. I think it had all 20 of your field goals or something on it. It was awesome. You were making every shot that night. Well, you know what? It, it was in, in, in the flow of the offense. It wasn't like they were running like – continuous plays for me. We had Cliff Robinson to score, Sean Mary, Rodney Rogers. So we had a lot of guys that touched the ball, shot the ball. I was just making consecutive shots, and I made a lot of shots. So if you were even to go back and watch the game, mm-hmm. you know, you'll be like, wow, that's like the quietest 50 that you would ever see. And the reason why, because we were just – everyone was touching the ball. It wasn't like a, let's say, Allen Iverson, when you knew he was going to get 20 right. shots and, you know, get to the foul line. And even if he took 40 shots, you know, it's still a possibility to get 50 points. With mine, it, it, it was in the float offense and, you know, had nothing to do with Sacramento. It was that, that Jason, when I made the decision to go there, I knew he made the game easy. And what mm-hmm. I mean by easy, the only thing I had to do was run, get in position, and, uh, you know, he was going to seam the ball up, make the perfect pass, and the only thing I had to do was put it in the hole. And, uh, you know, and that team – I. That was another team I enjoyed playing on. You know, mm-hmm. it, it was a uh, an open offense. Scott Scott was one of my favorite coaches because he was one of the few. He was one of the few coaches other than you know high school and college, but he had set plays for me. And it's it's totally different when you know there's offensive sets for you. You know, a lot of times I just scored because you know I was a gifted scorer mm-hmm. and I knew where I needed to be. But he actually ran plays for me, so it made me feel really I was a part of the offense for the first time when I was in Phoenix. And this just occurred to me, that actually kind of gave you a chance to reunite with Penny, even though he was hurt yeah. you know, that entire season. But I know he was around. I was a big Penny fan, so I remember I think that was the season he played maybe just three or four games or something like yeah, that. Yeah, it, 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 it was tough to see Penny go through, you know, just that the knee injuries that he that he had, you know. And, and a lot of people just thought that Penny didn't want to play basketball. I mean, Penny loved basketball. I've never seen a player that was so passionate about the game. And, um, you know, he was – um, in a situation where he had that bone on bone. And at that time, it was really not anything they could do. He actually came back and he tried to practice. You know, mm-hmm. he took trips to Canada. He was doing everything possible to try to get back on that court. He gave it, he gave it his all, you know. And, and Penny was a, was a trooper. He was an a, a, uh, unselfish player, a great teammate. And I wish, you know, I could have got a chance to play with him. And, uh, you know, when you see a player that, that gifted mm-hmm. and see him not – live up to the potential, you know, it's, it's, it's always to me, you know, it's like the people didn't really get a chance to see who Penny could have been, you know, yeah. I, I saw him early. I saw him in high school. I played with his first cousin in high school. So I got a chance to, like you said, I became a, a Penny fan and, and just was a good guy, you know, and, um, mm-hmm. you know, and, and you hate to see guys 
you know, not even at the end of their career, you know, in their prime and they can't yeah. give, they can't give you what they want to give you. And that's how Penny was. Yeah, no, he, he certainly was memorable. That's for sure. So after Phoenix, you move on to Boston, you're traded to Boston, I think in the, the 2002 season. And yeah. that, I mean, were you excited about that? Because it, it kind of reunited Ooh, you with uh, Antoine and Walter McCarty. Well, you know what? It, it, it was great to see those guys, but remember, I'm leaving Phoenix. Right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. It was a trade Boston. deadline, right? So you're talking about like, like two different climates. And yeah. one climate is, is so cold <laughs> that, you know, at that time, because I was in, you know, California, I was in, in Arizona. So I didn't have any warm clothes, you know. So I really wasn't prepared for how cold Boston really was. And I was like, man this got to be the coldest place I've ever lived in my life. And uh, so it, it took me time to adjust. I, I really, I don't think I unpacked. I stayed in the hotel mm-hmm. for three months. I stayed in the hotel until we finished the Eastern Conference Finals. And uh, I wasn't even trying to go find a place. I didn't even care. I didn't want to go <laughs> furniture. Yeah. Uh, I just want to come back to a warm hotel room mm-hmm. when I got back on the road. And when I came back from practice, mm-hmm. uh, it was cold. It was cold. That's yeah. all I can say. <laughs> well, well, it's funny that you mentioned the uh, the Eastern Conference Finals. And at that time, I think I was a freshman in high school. And we didn't have cable at my house. So I lived for the NBA on NBC games. That was my big thing. And I remember watching Game 3 when you guys had that amazing comeback against right. the Nets. I think you were down 26 in the third quarter. Yes. And I believe you played the enti- most of, if not the entire fourth quarter. I did. So I did. what was that? comeback like I remember seeing footage of Antoine kind of ripping into everyone in the huddle right what what did he say and you know what was that experience like playing at I think it was called the Fleet Center back then yes what was that like just being a part of such an amazing comeback well what I can tell you is Antoine knowing him he was he was the one that probably allowed them to get the league because he wasn't guarding his man and playing any defense (laughs) should have been like God I need to be it should have been the huddle I need to start playing better defense (laughs) guarding that man and doing it doing their part as far as on the defensive end is more than just jacking up threes. But, uh, you know, when you have a player like Paul Pierce and mm-hmm. Antoine was also uh, an integral part of our offense is that, you know, those guys are capable of taking over game and especially how Paul was. Paul was, he was efficient. He was a tough guard and, uh, you know, had great footwork, uh, mid range, three posts, you know, he, he had the all around game, but, once again, it was a, a team effort. You know, everyone, when you're down that many points, and I was down that many points in college one time, everyone has to contribute. You know, it's like every every ball has to bounce correctly. You, you have to get, uh, you know, all the turnover, the 50-50 balls. Guys have to make their extra pass. You know, you have to get a bunch of stops. So we did everything in that second half that we needed to get that lead. And also, you know, it was it was me playing against, you know, Jason Kidd. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I, tough, I, you know? yeah. I just thought about that. Yeah. 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 It was, you know, Jason got traded from, you know, from Phoenix, New Jersey, and we meet them in the Eastern conference finals. So it worked out for both, both of us. Um, they would go on to beat us. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that team, that Boston team, what was good, was really good for me because once again, coach O'Brien knew my game and he allowed me to let me play, allowed me to play my game. You know, he didn't really, he didn't make me the point guard. You know, he made me, a guard that can initiate the offense and sometime Antoine will bring the ball down the court, but he would put me in position to be a scorer, to, uh, to be that third scorer. Cause that was one of the teams that, you know, before I got hurt early in the season, I was probably second or second on the team in three pointers made. I was averaging double figures. I was having a really good year and, and a good friend of mine, Malik Rose, 
was going after loose ball and uh, crashed into my ankle, and I was out for probably about a month or so. Oh, wow. Yes. All right, so you play one more season in Boston, and since this is a uh, a Maverick-centered podcast, I want to talk to you more about your time in Dallas. Mm-hmm. So in the fall of 2003, as you're gearing up for another season in Boston, I think the preseason has already started. Yes. You're traded. Were you surprised by that trade to Dallas? Yes, I was. I mean, I, I was shocked because where we were at as a team, we had a great core. Mm-hmm. Uh, Coach Brian was the right coach. And the only team we couldn't beat in the East, Eastern Conference was, uh, was New Jersey. Mm-hmm. Jersey was a team that had our number. We pretty much could handle and beat it for everyone else. And we, you know, we took care of business when we played out West. But you have one team. And, and that trade took me by surprise because I, it, it was unexpected. You know, mm-hmm. and Coach O'Brien didn't have anything to do with that trade because, once again, he was our coach in college. And he would have come to us as men and said, hey, you know what, we're trying to do – we're trying to, uh, trying to better our situation. Uh, we're going to trade you and Antoine uh, to Dallas. But, you know, it was Danny Ainge doing. Danny Ainge had just became the GM, and he wanted to bring his guys in. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and, and once again, you know, now that I'm old, it's, it's, it was business at the end of the day. Right. Um, I think it was, it was miscommunication there. I, I thought we had a, a really good team. And when you have good chemistry, especially in the NBA, you're not going to have guys that can play together three or four years and all the guys really enjoy each other. We enjoyed each other in Boston. We enjoyed competing because, once again, we had been to the Eastern Conference Finals and we felt like we were like one step from getting to the finals, maybe one player from getting to the finals, and that trade take place. So, you know, going to Dallas, it was, it was bittersweet, mm-hmm. you know, to get traded there and not really knowing the situation. But – and I was kind of that, – that year – uh, I had strained calf, but as soon as I got there, Coach Nelson inserted Antoine and I into the starting lineup. So it was Antoine Walker, Dirk, Dirk Nowitzki, mm-hmm. Michael Finley, Steve Nash, and myself. So I was right back in the mix, you know. So I was excited yeah. in the starting lineup. So once again, you know, he, um, you know, he, he played to my strength. He didn't, he didn't look at my size, you know. He said, "Man, listen, this guy plays hard. Uh, he can score. He plays defense." And I'm going to always sacrifice for my, for my team to win games. And, you know, and, and I appreciate coaches who saw what I could provide and bring to the table. Right. Um, one thing in particular I wanted to ask you about that season is opening night. You guys started in L.A. and had some very interesting jerseys on that night. Um, <laughs> those I, in Dallas, people were calling them like the trash bag jerseys because they just were like shiny and shimmery. I wanted to know yeah. – <laughs> Like, when you first saw them, like, was it well before that game? And, like, what was the reaction like in the locker room? Were you guys kind of dreading wearing them? Because, I mean, I just – they at least on TV, they just look kind of unusual. <laughs> well, I mean, they, they look unusual, but yeah. once again, it, it's something new. So, yeah, I was getting excited about new gear, like new uniform, new yeah. shoes, new socks. Yeah. <laughs> All that stuff get men excited, you know. And whether it looked, looked ugly or it was too shiny, you know, we didn't care because we knew it was going to draw attention. <laughs> and uh, uh, you know, you still got to go out there and perform. It's not about the jersey; it's it's the person in the jersey. No, oh yeah, no, yeah, I just, I, I've never I never seen the jersey score any points. You know, yeah. I don't know how, how much or the color of it, but you know, it was something different. And, and uh, you think about the, the the biggest stage. There's no bigger stage than you know, uh, you know, the Staples Center. It might have been the Forum back then, but no, there's no bigger stage than being in Hollywood, mm-hmm. and you get a chance to bring those uh, bring those jerseys out in front of all the uh, Hollywood stars. Yeah. Yeah, no, that, that I just – I remember that, watching that on TV, just being like, what are those? <laughs> but <laughs> All right. So, I mean, 
did you did you enjoy your your lone season in Dallas? I mean, you guys had a stacked team, like you said. You yeah. you know had a lot of established scores. There were definitely some good moments. Yeah. Won a lot of games. I think you fifty two, I believe, something like right. that. Um, you know what what was your favorite part about about your year in Dallas? You know, I, I had a good time. You know, Dallas was good because I, I was I was really plagued with injuries. You know, every time I would come back, you know, I would fight back hard get back in the starting lineup, playing really well. Mm-hmm. I would get hurt again, then I would – it would be a, a setback. And, um, you know, and then I would make a comeback. And as soon as I'm playing well, you know, I remember just having two really good games back-to-back and went up for a shot and came down on someone's ankle, twist my ankle. And after that, I, you know, I pretty much was out of the rotation. And then that's when Marquise Daniels started playing. So open up the door – for him to uh, get playing time and end up signing a really big contract. And, mm-hmm. you know, he'll, he'll tell you to this day, you know, he was not a part of rotation because I was, you know, once again, one of those veteran guys that when I came in, I knew exactly uh, what I had to do was for scoring and playing good defense. And I just had some misfortune that year. You know, it was, it was an injury plague year that really prevented me from, um, you know, just being, just staying there long-term. I think when the season ended, you know, I think I've, it, it was time for me to go because I, I just really – I didn't have my lucky double zero the first time. I didn't have that double zero after leaving Boston, you know. It was right. like another season where I couldn't get the number that I wanted, you know. And, and that – for some reason, that number brought me for so many years. It brought me uh, a lot of luck. And, you know, getting traded from Phoenix and, you know, going to, uh, to Boston, I didn't have my number. I had 28 one year. And then I had seven again. So, mm-hmm. it was a number that, that I had – I've been playing with my whole life. So when people mm-hmm. seem to be like, why were you, why were you in 28 or you in seven? I said, Boston, all the, num- all the good numbers were retired. <laughs> or, or numbers that were remaining, those, uh, those players had the number. Then in Dallas, I just, I still didn't know why Coach Nelson didn't want me to have double zero. He never just told me, said, I, for some, it might've been bad luck for him, but it was bad luck for me. Oh, yeah. wow. I was actually about to ask you because I, I was trying to think if someone had double zero, and I can't even no, remember no that ever there being one nope, in, no in one Matt's had. history. And, um, you know, I, I remember our equipment guy, probably still there now, I think his name is Al. Yeah, it is. Yeah, he's still here. He said, hey, uh, coach, coach doesn't want you to have – he don't want you to have double zero. And I'm like, you know, I didn't question it. You know, I'm one of those guys that, you know, coach says something, you know, I, I follow instruction, you know, I don't question – uh, the reason or explanation behind me not being able to wear a number. And, uh, you know, so I, I left it as it was. And, you know, that season ended in a uh, five-game playoff loss to the Kings. But I think three of those games came down to the wire, so it was pretty close. Had you been healthy, do you think that series could have gone differently? I think it could have. I, I think, you know, when you're in a rotation, you know, uh, you know your former team that you played against, you know the, the mm-hmm. players and um, – you know, what you know about series, the best team always wins a series, no matter how many close games you have. You know, you're not going to accidentally beat a team four times. It just doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, that maybe that year we had so much talent. We had a lot of scoring. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you have to be committed on the defensive end. And, uh, you know, I, I don't think we was always engaged uh, defensively. But from a scoring perspective, we had just as many scores as they did, you know, and, and – if we could have utilized, like, you know, Travis Best, myself, it would have given you a, a veteran team. And although, like I said, the young guys were playing well, Josh Howard played well and Marquise Daniel, but once again, you have young players that, don't, that had never been in the playoff. 
Mm -hmm. It's a different level of intensity, and that's how we played, with a different level of intensity. And even my first year as a rookie, when I was at Charlotte, we played the New York Knicks. You know, it was a whole level – it was a different level of intensity when I was playing against those guys. So then after after your year in Dallas, you and Antoine are traded again. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, package deal. Uh, You guys go to Atlanta – and but I really wanted to talk to you about was after that um, I think you played about a year and a half there and then you went on to Detroit and that was a really good Detroit team. We were good. Yeah. Yes, we were. Yeah. I mean, you guys had the Wallaces and Chauncey and mm-hmm. Rip. Uh, what was that experience like? That that experience was really good because I left a a a bad Atlanta situation where I should have been playing mm-hmm. and the team went young and the GM that time uh, Billy Knight. You know, he, he could have traded me when I was a, a, a valuable piece and my trade value went down. So, you know, even as I was leaving, I wanted to be out of Atlanta. I wanted to go somewhere and, you know, continue my, uh, continue my career. And, uh, you know, and Detroit, you know, they welcomed me. The, the Pistons welcomed me with open arms. You know, it was a great, a great situation. Uh, Rasheed, you know, Ben, Chauncey, uh, Tayshon, Rip. Uh, Tayshon, yeah, I forgot about yeah, him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They had – and and McDice, you know, it, it was a good team. And even getting to that to the Eastern Conference Finals that year, you know, I, I don't think if Rasheed, if he didn't twist his ankle in our second round series, you know, it would have been it would have been different against against the Heat, you know, right. he mismatch problem because you know you had to come out and guard him at the three point line. He could put the ball on the floor, had a low post game, but he wasn't healthy. And that team, just the way they played, I mean, you know, they another unselfish team, but didn't have that that superstar but had a bunch of stars. Would you say uh, Rashid or Dirk were the most talented fours you played with? Well, you know what? Oh, my God. Uh, I never thought about the compa- comparing it to. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're, you know, their games are different, Ooh. but they play the same position. But, yes. I mean, Sheed was he, – when he was locked in, he was – Yes. Pretty, yeah, he yes. was unbelievable. She was locked in or he was pissed off. Yeah. He was she, – she – should have been a Hall of Famer. I mean, when I, when I think about the talent level that he was blessed with, you know, being that long, you know, uh, can block shots, could defend the pick and roll, could shoot the three, had a low post game. Um, you know, he, he had an all-around game, you know. But you're right, she had to be locked in. And uh, sometimes he wasn't, he wasn't always there. But, you know, when, when she brought it, yeah. I mean, you know, he, he could be an all-star. And, and Dirk just was a – a player on a nightly basis, you know, he gave you everything, you know, mm-hmm. and even just still playing to this day, you know, you know, he's, he's a future hall of famer, but um, both guys were great teammates. You know, I, I have nothing but good things to say about both of those guys. I enjoyed my um, brief stint with Sheed. I played with uh, Dirk a little bit longer. Right. Both guys were, uh, were professionals, you know, they understood their job. They took care of their business. And, um, you know, when you get a chance to play, with guys like Rasheed, Dirk, Vladi, uh, Chris Weber, you know, it brings a whole different respect uh, to basketball when you see guys that that talented but are also humble guys. Right. Um, so after your NBA career, I know you went was it, you went to Greece, right? Yes. Yeah. What was that experience like? Uh, was that something you wanted to do? Like, no, not not okay. necessarily. You know what? Not necessarily. Not at that time. I still felt. Uh, my game, I still felt I should have been playing in the NBA. I still still felt I had two or three more good years left, mm-hmm. um, you know, to be an NBA player. And then I would have taken that, um, you know, that, that overseas experience and that challenge. I would have I, I took it head on. So it was more, you know, leaving a situation 
and going to situations that, that I, I didn't know anything about. You know, I was that didn't really – I'm not going to say I didn't care. I didn't really know anything about overseas. You know, basketball is still basketball. Don't get me wrong. But, you know, when, you, when you've been doing something for 10 years of your life and, you know, you uproot your, you know, your lifestyle, it changes. Uh, the people change. The, the language change. You know, it, it's me not learning basketball over again, but it's, it's becoming aware of my, of my surroundings that were totally different. And, and then just leaving – leaving my country to go play somewhere that, you know, I didn't know how they would accept me, you know, right. you know, just the culture. Um, so there's a lot of things I had to learn while I was there. You know, and, and, and towards the end, it got better. The only thing that really that I didn't like was, uh, you know, practice a lot more, a lot harder, you know, <laughs> just play, play maybe one game, one good game a week. But that's, that's overseas for you. Totally different than the NBA. Did you experience any of the things I hear about in terms of playing overseas, like not getting paid on time yeah. or I mean, why does that happen or how does that happen? I just, I don't well, understand. Well, you know, this is what I know if I were to do it all over again, you know, I definitely would have had um, all my money in a, in, a, in a United States bank, you mm-hmm. know, so that way I would have been getting paid through a United States bank and my money would have already been there and I wouldn't have to worry about going to the owner and uh, trying to get paid my money because at the end I didn't get paid all my money. You know, it was it was a settlement, and then there was maybe you get paid once a month, and they were they got behind probably two weeks one time, and that was what I heard was was good. You know, compared to some of the, some of the guys I knew in Greece, they were like two or three months and they hadn't gotten paid anything. So at least I was getting getting my money. It was maybe once or twice. It was probably two weeks late. Yeah. Other than that, I mean, you know, it was – I played on a good team. A, um, you know, Mike Batiste was really good. You know, he was a, a good American player that got me through uh, my Greece experience. All right. So once your playing career ended, you did you, – you, you, you were an assistant at Kentucky, right, for a little yeah. while? Mm-hmm. Right. Do you see any more coaching in your future? It could happen. I, I think it has to be the right situation. really enjoy and I love training kids. and. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm getting ready for uh, a clinic on October 29th at McEachin High School, and I'm, I'm going to have three different sessions of training just for kids uh, from grades 3 through 12. Um, you know, I always consider myself that now that I'm, I'm done playing, you know, like, how else can I impact the game? And it's giving young kids a, a – trying to give them an edge, you know, mm-hmm. let them know how hard it is, but just trying to help them develop a, a really good work ethic and understand that, you know, what you put into basketball is what you're going to get out of it. And teaching is something that I, I enjoy doing, you know, because I want to see kids improve. And uh, with improvement comes, comes more confidence. So if it's the right situation, you know, it would definitely pique my interest. Right. Do you still play anymore? Yeah, I played. I played in a charity game uh, this Saturday. It was, it was former pro, uh, pro players against the uh, – APD, Atlanta Police Department. Oh, cool. And, uh, so, uh, Who else Pat, was there? Joe Smith was there, Salim Stoudemire. Wow. Radliff and uh, Antonio Davis. So we, we had a pretty okay. good team, but not, none, none of us guys, you know, we didn't play a lot of minutes. You know? right. <laughs> there were some younger local guys that played all the minutes. And yeah. uh, it, was, it, it was funny because the police department was, was competitive. You know, they were trying to win. They, yeah. They were going really hard. You know, they didn't care about – you know, us being former NBA players, they were trying to get the W. Well, you know, I, I think that's really all the questions I had tonight. Uh, I, you know, I really appreciate you taking the time to, to meet with me. And uh, it was great hearing about your career. And 
yeah, you know, I just, I really enjoy, I'm enjoying this experience so far, just trying to catch up with former Mavs. So you thanks a lot. Man. You have, um, like I said, you, you're a great interviewer and just keep it going. You're going to find some more former players and all of us like talking about our careers. So trust me, it, it, it'll be a breeze. You come up with five questions and it could turn into a 30 minute interview. Yeah. Yeah. No, thanks. Thanks, Tony. Um, okay. Wish you the best of luck and maybe we can Thank keep you. in touch. Okay. Take care. All right. Thanks.